Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Entrepreneur podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today I have another interview. I have with me Kevin. Hey, Kevin, everything good with you? Yeah, I'm I'm awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Uh, off the record, I was trying to um, pronounce your full name properly. So, Kevon Chong. That's totally right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, yeah, the way I, I met Kevon was actually uh, through Kavya. Kavya, she is a member of the WB space. And I also interviewed her here in the podcast and she told me that it would be amazing to speak uh, with you also to learn more about uh, your entrepreneurial career your entrepreneurial path your uh, marketing uh, teachings and also the fact that uh, you basically started this new challenge this entrepreneurial path whilst having a newborn and uh, i i know a lot of other entrepreneurs that also or uh, also wannabe entrepreneurs that uh, have kids. And uh, I think it's always good to see someone that also has a, as a kid, as a newborn, and see how that affected his journey in this case uh, for you. So super excited to speak about that. And uh, I would like to start to ask you, Kevon, to introduce yourself to the listeners in your own words. Give us a little bit of your background, if that's okay. Yeah, sounds like we have a lot to talk about. So yeah. um, I'm Kavan. I I've been in startup all my career for the for the last eight nine years, and to be very honest, I have too many failed projects. <laughs> you know, not, nothing has been successful so far. So in 15 months ago, so at the end of 2020, right in the middle of COVID, I thought, okay. It's time for a new transition. I, I left my previous funded startup. And I really wanted to become a solopreneur this time because the previous time is funded startup, so I have to manage the investor. But, you know, it, it's quite hectic to manage growth, customers, and investor and all that. So mm -hmm. I decided to start writing online and see what I can do. And... Yeah, time flies and now we're 15 months in and I'm running courses, I'm writing books, I'm sh sharing a lot of content online and it has been quite a journey. Yeah, and but but the, but the thing is I'm really grateful that I'm able to find my so-called niche so fast. Like someone actually commented on this uh, like two weeks ago, like, wow, you're lucky you can find it so fast. So I'm grateful. So I'm here to share whatever I know to all of you. Before we get into the those precious learnings that you'll be sharing with us, I would love to understand a little bit more about your uh, background. So what you have studied, uh, you where you grown up, um, and if you had any other entrepreneur in, in the family. Yeah, sure. So I am based in Hong Kong. I grew up here. And then at 15 years old, I hopped on a plane by myself to go to the U.S. to go to a boarding school. So I still remember I was crying when I, when I left my family and went into the gate. Um, so I spent seven years um, in Boston, around Boston. And I actually studied in an entrepreneurship school. Um, but, you know, coming from Hong Kong, we are like a finance real estate city, right? So right. I decided to major in finance. Um, but, but the funny thing is, 
when I graduated, oh, actually, before I graduated, I was telling myself, oh my God, I, I really don't like finance. I feel like I'm making up stories to tell people to buy this and buy that, don't buy that. And it's kind of, it's, it's too fluffy for me. So the thing that I did at that point was thinking back to my childhood, like where did I spend a lot of time by myself just learning and that was making websites and creating things online. I was creating things like since 12 or 13, but it was mm. like simple website and forums, you know, just I, I, I didn't know how to code back then. So at that point, I decided I wanted to learn how to code. And then I learned, I, I, I moved to New York for three months to learn how to code. And then somehow got a job online in Singapore. And then I moved to Singapore <laughs> and become a software engineer. So it was crazy. And then I have been in startup ever since. Wow. What a, what a journey. You are, you are at such, uh, from a young age. A lot what of moving the, around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I guess it, it must be really hard uh, with 15 to leave your family and go to such a different culture. How did that affect you? Did, was it easy? Not so much? To be very honest, right, I still go home like three times a year. So it's not as hard as it sounds, like just flying by, by yourself at 15. Um, but overall, I, I really enjoy the culture over there in the U.S. I mean, I think it really shapes who I am today to be so forward thinking and innovative because it's, it's really hard to find like-minded people where I am. So honestly, to today like these days i'm spending so much more time on the internet because i feel like that's where i connect with people right so yeah it's all good what, what is the the main difference from mindsets from uh, hong kong and boston i think well we know the us right like people are so innovative they are they're they care about mission they care about like creating values and 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 benefiting other people but in a very financial city like hong kong it can be very transactional in a way like a lot of things is about like buying stocks selling stocks buying real estate selling real estate so mm -hmm. uh like in my mind i just feel like less people are creating like co like content or creating educational things uh compared to out of compared to us so, and for me, I just don't find a connection here. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like have good lives here, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, but I, I just don't connect. Yeah. But right. I have to be here because it's where my family is. Yeah, of course. Are there, is there also a big um, startup scenario in uh, Hong Kong at the moment? Oh yeah. It's getting bigger and bigger. Um, like in the last couple of years, there have been like, I don't like eight or nine unicorns now. I don't remember now who I interviewed that also had like a similar experience and we we're comparing uh, US with, uh, I don't remember now, but other part of the world. And um, what they told me is that in the US, they are much, everything is much bigger. Uh, you always want to disrupt something uh, with your startups, right? So let's say Uber, for instance, you want to disrupt the you know, transportation industry. Uh, whereas, for instance, in comparison with Europe, the idea is a bit different. In Europe, there's we don't think as big 
Uh, I guess that's also changing, but in general, it's always a little bit more conservative, uh, lower investments and so on. How is it in uh, in Hong Kong, these startups? Is it also like pumping tons of money to try to conquer the market really fast? Or is it like a different, more sustainable growth uh, in the, the startups uh, there? Because it's so competitive, I think it's definitely getting to like, you have to raise money, you have to do it fast, otherwise... You don't have a chance, that kind of thing. Um, bootstrap is very hard here. I mean, salary is so high, it's like labor cost is so high. And right. then r- real estate is so high, living cost is so high. So it's impossible, like very hard, very hard to bootstrap. Um, and also, I, I think you're exactly right. We only have like seven to eight million people here. So it's a very small market. Like you can be number one here, but it's still very small. So right. So yeah, I think a lot of companies these days they they really aim for global, like, or mm-hmm. or at least Southeast Asia, Asia first, right. um, instead of just Hong Kong. So, you you said that you you had your uh, own startup, founded startup, that uh, did did it fail? Like, what or why why did it stop? Yeah, so um, 2019 to 2020, for about 18 months, I was working on a SaaS, and. It, it was my first time um, leading a software company. So, of course, as a first-time founder, I had a lot of uh, dead ends. I went into a lot of dead ends. But the biggest learning for me is that um, we didn't understand the, the space and the customer pain point enough in order to build a solution. Like, we, we jump into solution way too quickly. Like we imagine what people need and we look at who's doing it out there and we just try to make a 10% better product. But right. now thinking back, it's just impossible that way. Like, you may, yeah, maybe you can be 10% better, but we all know that it's not enough for people to switch if you are just 10% yeah. better. You really need to understand the pain point and build something 10 times better, right? So I didn't have that experience i guess so mm-hmm. so yeah and because of covid covid was right in the middle of it so we had to pivot we used to focus on like live events conferences and obviously that was yeah. completely killed off yeah. so we moved to becoming this like interaction platform for virtual meetings but you know we were very new to the market and we didn't have enough knowledge about it. So mm-hmm. the growth is super slow. We were able to get pay users like monthly recurring revenue, but it was just really slow. Right. Um, and at the end, I just told my investor, um, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. Right. How did you react? Um, I mean, of course, it's, a, it's, it's hard, but my, my lead investor is actually a very respectable person. Um, so... He understand, you know, the re- sometimes you invest in startup and it doesn't work out. So we have a good conversation and mm-hmm. um, because he, he was the lead investor. So he tried to figure out other ways to like see what he can do. But, but I basically stepped away. Yeah. Right. Back then, were you already using uh, Twitter uh, as, a, as a platform to also grow your business? No, I, I mean, I had the account since 2009 when I was in yeah. Um, college. Yeah, right. college. And for me, I never used Twitter in the last like 12 years. 
or, or 11 years. And I thought it's a place for like politicians and celebrities to, to, to talk, to, to share their opinions with people. I didn't know there's like this entrepreneurial, uh, supportive community on Twitter. So I only started when I left the startup and I said, Oh, I have two months before the baby was born. Maybe I can just like explore something new. I don't like to take breaks, right? My taking break is learning new things. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll try out Twitter because all the indie hackers are there. So let's right. just start there. So you uh, were due to um, to have your uh, first uh, child. Were you like were you nervous? You because you know one a couple of months away to to have uh, your first child, but you didn't get. Uh, you just finished your uh, startup project. What, what was going through your mind? Did you think, okay, I need to come up with something? Okay, so this this is very interesting. Um, at that point, I have one thing in mind, which is I left the startup. I worked so hard trying to figure out. I, I worked a lot of hours every single week. But I realized after I left the startup, I had nothing. I basically only had my LinkedIn profile with that little like founder under that company name. And I felt really lost. Like I've worked so hard in my last eight, nine years, but how come I'm still a nobody <laughs> except for a resume? So I really went through this like huge exercise in my head and think about, okay, if I go to look for a job at that point, I'm basically back to this like rat race of like pitching myself and then getting a job and then uh, being still a nobody and then get another job, right? It can keep going if I go down that path. But if I try another route of being an entrepreneur instead of getting funding, maybe just take it slow, bootstrap, figure things out very slowly. Don't rush myself because every time I rush myself, I make all the wrong decisions. So <laughs> maybe if I do this, then I will, you know, I'll have something to show to people. And I'm building everything under my name, right? So it's pretty valuable. It's compounding every single day. Right. So mm-hmm. this is the, this is what's going on in my mind. And I thought to myself, hey, if I go find a job, a couple of years later, I'll be back to this spot anyway. So why not start now? <laughs> yeah. So that was my starting point. Yeah. So you started exploring Twitter. You obviously have more than eight eight k uh, followers, so you definitely did something right. Um, what what was the, your ideas? What what are you thinking? Like, what were your first businesses? What were you trying to do? How were you planning to make money? I wasn't thinking about making money at first because um, I I told you I've been in startup. So I, last two years, two thousand and nineteen to twenty, I was the first time software founder. But even before that. I was running like education startup. I'm like the COO, like the second person. So mm-hmm. I get to learn a lot about like start, uh, starting new businesses. So this time I decided to, okay, be a bit more strategic about my approach. So I don't want to build anything yet because I don't know anything. So let's not worry about business or revenue or monetization. What I want to do is, okay, how can I go from a nobody, which I told you about, to at least being known for something? So that right. was my first goal. And I, I was doing a, bu- a bunch of research and looking at how people do it. 
And I realize on the internet, it's all about trust and credibility. Sometimes it's pretty interesting. Sometimes it's not so much about the product quality. And I'm, I'm speaking about、um, more on the creator side. So like、uh, courses, info products, not like SaaS,、right. right? So it's not so much about the product quality, but your, your, your reputation and how, how much people trust you. So when I know that, I decided, okay, I can give myself six months. And I can make zero dollars, and that's okay. But I really need to be known for something. So that was my first like, uh, uh, goal, my first、right. milestone. So I basically did a bunch of things like、um, engaging a lot on Twitter and going to Indie Hackers Forum to help people out based on my past experience. I want to help people. And I think about eight weeks in, I was writing a lot of blog posts about my failures and struggles in the past. And I realized blog posts alone is not going to make enough noise for people to say, hey, look at this guy, Kavon, he's doing something great.、It's、blog posts alone at the start is not enough. So I thought about, okay, what can I create to give me a bit more credibility in this space? And I thought about, okay, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm comfortable with writing because I've been writing all these blog posts every single week. Maybe I can create a huge resources around a topic so that people can be like, hey, you want to learn about this? Go to this guy. This guy has a free guide and everything is out there. You can read it. So, you know, I did some research about different topics. So I found like no code, micro SaaS, building public.、Mm-hmm. And I was like, Huh, this is really interesting. And I, I did some Google search of their keyword volume and all that. All the t- data points me to focus on no code because it's like really huge out there.、Right. Yeah. And building public, guess what? Google tells me that back then it has zero to 10 search volume in the US. <laughs> But I was like, huh. What? No one cares about this. But when I dig deeper, I realize building public is really what I'm passionate about because this is how I live my life so far like being helpful, being honest, being, being like so focused on the integrity side of things. So I really want to just focus on this topic. So I say to myself, okay, screw, screw Google. The data might be wrong. If,、yeah. I, if I can resonate with this topic, I think I can talk about it for many, many years. So,、mm-hmm. and, I, and the other data point is that I see a lot of people on Twitter talking about it. And I see people、yeah. in the,、uh, on the Indie Hackers Forum talking about it. So I thought, okay, maybe no one is talking about it. No one is helping. Then I can be that person. So、mm-hmm. that was how I started in this topic.、Yeah. Yeah, I, fi- I find that Google Trends sometimes is a bit misleading.、Um, I was, I was、uh, doing the same. I was searching, for instance, for bootstrapping, and、uh, I, didn't, I, I think it didn't even show up as、uh, it says that、uh, there's no searches or there's no search volume for that.、Uh, but I don't understand how Google calculates that because a lot of people in my niche, in my bubble,、uh, is speaking about bootstrapping. So, it's, it's a bit misleading sometimes to not pursue a certain keyword or a certain topic just because it's not、uh, trendy enough for,、uh, for Google Trends.、Um, so, I think you did absolutely right to, to follow something that you are、uh, passionate about. And now, 
building public is something that uh, a lot of people are speaking about, right? Yeah, I'm, 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 I guess I'm surprised, but also kind of uh, see that coming because I was talking about it. I was the one who is like helping to spread it as well. Um, but yeah, it has started from like the more technical founders, indie hackers, but now I see more and more like just startup founders, even corporate people, they want to learn building public because, you know, everyone wants to build a personal brand these days and yeah. everyone is moving online to build their own business. So building mm -hmm. public is kind of like a, a really good way for them to, to, to do that instead of writing a lot, a lot of content. So what is really building public? Let me use an analogy to explain this. Um, there are two parts, right? The first part is imagine yourself walking into a restaurant. And this is not a typical restaurant where the kitchen is at the back and then tables and chairs are up front. No, this restaurant has an open kitchen. So you can see directly, you're not sitting there, but you can see the chef is like preparing the ingredients, um, cooking them and then putting them on the plate. And I don't know about you, but I am a big fan of this kind of restaurant because it just shows that they're so confident in their own craft, in their service, in their food quality, that they have nothing to hide. So to me and to everyone out there, building public is exactly like an open kitchen where you're just very confident in telling your own story. And I'll give you another example. Like, okay, let's say the chef uh, overcooked the pasta. So in his mind, he's like, or in her mind, it's like, oh, this, the pasta is not good enough. Then the chef would actually say, let's throw out this dish and recook the pasta for the customer. So that's the kind of vulnerability that you're happy to share in your open mm -hmm. kitchen. So this is part one. It's about telling your own stories in the process. But there's actually a lot of people who like first learn about building public and they only think about sharing from their journey it's like one person talking 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 so now let's bring in the second part of building public which is actually have, have you heard of omakaze uh no actually okay not. interesting so omakaze is actually like a set menu in a japanese sushi restaurant so what it means is the chef will decide what you eat you paid a very expensive no. price and he picks all the food for you, right? But the interesting thing is you sit at the bar and the sushi chef serves you piece by piece, dish by dish, like every 10 minutes or 15 okay. minutes. And this is very interesting in terms of building in public because the chef doesn't just prepare the food for you. The chef usually talk to you, explain the fish, explain why he's serving you this fish from this part of Japan, and it, there's a lot of conversation and interaction. Sometimes they even drink sake with their customers. Mm -hmm. So this is the second part of building in public, which is you're not just like cooking in the open kitchen and letting people look at you. You're actually interacting with your, with your audience, with your mm -hmm. customers. So like when you share your journey on Twitter and people reply to your tweet, you should really kick off a conversation and share a bit more about like who you are and make a friend. So this yeah. is exactly what building public is about. I think you, you just gave a perfect metaphor uh, to explain what the building public is. And I, I also think that 
it's building public somehow that this movement is very much connected with Twitter, even though you can do it in with other medium. And I think I'm doing also this with with the podcast because I've been narrating my own journey uh, through my podcast. But I've also used Twitter quite quite a bit. And um, how we were just discussing this also before. Uh, you have um, a website making twitterfriends.com where you also kind of explore a different way to use Twitter, uh, a way that maybe other um, influencers, let's say, are not using. And and it's connected with that, right? Connected with making friends, connected with um, making uh, true relationships, meaningful relationships. How how does one do that? How do you start? You start with uh, what uh, a few followers. How do you how do you grow? Your, your Twitter to the first thousand, let's say. Yeah, so this is something that I discover as I was doing it. Um, I read tons of like Twitter content about how you can grow an audience. And of course, the common advice is always like, oh, engage with people. Oh, tweet something valuable in your niche, right? Everyone's talking about that. But when I really think about what's behind a huge audience, what I see is that usually it starts with a friend base. Um, when, when you have like 30 followers, if you have 100 or even 200, this is actually your best chance to do it right because as long as you pick the right like 30 to 50 friends to hang out with, and I don't mean you need to like really know them or get on Zoom calls. Like if you just exchange a few tweets and you maybe exchange a few direct message, we call it DM. Mm -hmm. You can already call this person a friend, right? Because you have like bounce ideas, you have um, helped each other out a little bit. And I realized mm -hmm. behind every large following, like 20K followers, there are a lot of friends helping this person to make it work. So that's when I know that, oh, this is actually a better approach to tackle uh, Twitter in the start. How, how much time would, do you have to invest uh, to build such relation, relationships? So back then, um, I was full-time doing this, right? So I can spend two to three hours on Twitter every single day. Mm -hmm. just, just, but I, I was starting out, so I would use that two, three hours to go to conversations and just add values. I told you about, I go to forums to help people. Right. And I do right. that on Twitter as well. I just try to add values to the conversation. I don't repeat what people say, like a lot of people do. <laughs> I know that. And I try to get to know people, uh, really get to know what they're working on, what they care about. And it started with two, three hours a day. But I mean, as you grow, as you make more friends, this number will drop because they're already your friends. So, and nowadays, like many people come to me, so I, I'm already can, I can already engage with them this way instead of going out to find people. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it gets easier, but I don't want to make it sound like it's super easy to grow a following. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard work in the beginning, especially. No, and, and, and for me, I started to feel really addicted uh, to Twitter. I felt that the, I was always, you know, craving for for likes, and I would always be there, um, always, you know, opening 
Twitter every half an hour or less. So it, it really felt like an, an, an addiction for me. And then I was able to control it a little bit by basically reducing my time online. Was it the same for you? Did you ever felt kind of addicted, attracted in the in the bad way to to the platform? <laughs> I think yes, because it's like the numbers, the follower count, the likes, the reply. They're just so addicting. But um, I really try to remind myself that it doesn't really matter how many likes or replies you get for one tweet. Overall, it's your it's your entire presence online that can help you build a business like i talk a lot about trust and credibility and this stuff you have to accumulate it over time that's why that's why building public is so important is like every time you share something it's very small but when you add them all up uh, across like six months or a year you i find that people are actually watching you progress and the watching part makes them trust you so much more than if someone just like launch a product out of nowhere. It's all about that watching. Mm-hmm. So, so this is why I take it very slow. Um, I don't care about my follower count ever since like it hit 2000. Um, compared to a lot of people, they're tweeting a lot and getting a lot of likes. I don't get that much, but I'm okay with it because I understand. Um, yeah. I, I, Every single follower, I wish to have a stronger relationship with them instead of just a number. Yeah, yeah, no, makes makes total sense, and I, you can clearly see those results in uh, in, in your number of followers, right? You are now in the eight thousand five hundred, roughly. So that's really really amazing. So that's basically your secret. That's how you were able to grow your Twitter was basically by engaging, creating friends. Um, how how did you decide which tweets to make, uh, which content to to explore? Oh, I want to add on to your point. So making friends and engaging in conversation is actually a good strategy in the early days. But once you get past like 1,000, you should or we should actually use a different strategy. So I actually think about this as like, at each stage, you need a different strategy. Mm. <laughs> but we yeah. have so much to talk about maybe on another day. Um, for now, you are asking how I choose what content to tweet, right? Right. Um, I always, like, I like to share my learnings with people. That's building in public. Um, and I always think about, is this going to help someone else? If they read this tweet, are they going to be inspired and can take some actions about that. So this is my first criteria. It has to be useful to people. Mm-hmm. The, I, I try not to do so many of those short tweets that are more like wisdom bomb that can yeah, get a lot of engagement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see a lot of success around that and I'm really tempted to do it. And I think I will write some, but I wouldn't let it dictate my whole presence on Twitter. I still yeah. want my big part to be sharing lessons because that's my mm-hmm. brand. Right, and you're basically creating valuable content, and people just people like that. You're not just uh, doing the hashtag startup, uh, you know, this kind of tweets that everyone is is using. It's funny because if you use Twitter uh, for uh, some time, you'll kind of see some patterns <laughs> on typical tweets that a lot of people use that tend to perform well. 
Um, so it's sometimes hard to actually, you know, go around this uh, this content. But uh, it's really nice the fact that you were able to do it. You came out of your uh, first startup. You decided to, okay, let's build my own brand. Let's learn Twitter. You started learning Twitter. You started learning about building pu- building in public. You're mostly focused on also building your own brand. And, you, and your uh, child was born, right? So that's right. That's that's what I'm really interested in because, you know, okay, you you might only use Twitter three four four hours a day, but it doesn't mean that when you are with your family that you can like just forget about it, right? Like you're always thinking about new tweets, you're always thinking about how many likes did that tweet had or something. How are you able to to distinguish your family time from your business and Twitter time? Yeah, very good question. It's very hard. Um, maybe we can break it into different parts. I can think of number one as create a support system earlier. Um, so we are very lucky. Like uh, grandparents are very helpful. So they actually come every single day and they take care of the baby for at least two hours or two to oh, three nice. hours every day. So we are very lucky. And also my wife is, uh, is she doesn't have a full time. So we planned that earlier so that one of us can be taking care of the kids more because we believe that's super important to raising a good kid. Um, But anyway, that's number one. But number two is I think I'm not doing a good job in this, honestly, but um, be more mindful and be more asynchronous in terms of what I'm doing online. For example, like when everyone think about Twitter, you think about like a lot of, live interaction on twitter right you want to be on your mobile phone you want to talk to people live i actually use it differently so let me tell you how i use it because my audience are mainly in america or some in europe but mostly in america so it's exactly like half a day apart from me and i need to sleep right when they're awake i need to sleep so i use like scheduling software and i line up all my tweets every single week yeah. And and I just let them go out. And I'm sorry to my followers, I cannot really interact with them live, but I make sure when I wake up the next day, I tried my best to reply to everyone who replied to my tweet. So I'm creating conversation this way in a very delayed way, but at least I'm still, you know, maintaining those connections and conversations. So I'm not using Twitter in a very synchronous way. But but you're right. Like sometimes I'm with my family and I still check my Twitter mobile phone, yeah. and it's, it's just hard. But uh, at least this helps me a little bit. And the last thing would be just have hundred percent focus when you're doing one thing. And honestly, I'm not doing well in this as well. I'm trying. So what I mean is, if it's dinner time and you need to be with your family, be with them, hundred yeah. percent. Put away yeah, I, was the phone. Just, I was just reading here one of your tweets. Key to being oh, really? a good parent: be one hundred percent present during meals. But exactly, honest, it is very hard. I try. Ex- exactly, yeah. So when I'm working, I'm fully working. I let my wife take care of the baby. So yeah. I guess this way, I'm not half-assed <laughs> in each side, and everyone yeah. is happy. But it's very hard, isn't it, to disconnect? I, I, I would, I wish I could do the same, but you know, sometimes I, I feel that it takes. It takes also a couple of hours to fully disconnect. I, I cannot just like you know be working and write a bunch of tweets and then 
stop and go, you know, be present with my family. It takes some time to to readjust and to forget about work. Um, I don't know. At least, at least for me, it's it's probably one of the hardest things uh, for for building in public. I think having a schedule helps. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm actually on a you know day job kind of schedule. Like Monday to Friday, nine to six, right. I'm working, and mm-hmm. then the rest, like morning, evening, weekends, I'm with my family. So that mm-hmm. helps a little bit to have a standardized schedule. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's a that's definitely a great tip. To we are almost running out of time, and but I still want to speak about uh, your uh, your course, which I guess it's then the after you you were able to grow your um, to grow your audience and understand what you wanted to focus on. Uh, this course, the Building Public Mastery, end up being your uh, your product, the way you you found to 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 make money. How how did it came to be? Spe- speak uh, with us a little bit about this this course. Okay, so this is a very very hard journey as well. I was still in the mood of like creating free content because it feels really amazing to be giving all these values to people and people thank you for it but one day my wife came knocking to my door and she's like kavon when are you start charging people (laughs) like you haven't made a dollar in six months what are you doing (laughs) so that was that was a big wake-up call to me and i was like okay um i have some audience around me who care about building public that's why they are around me because I wrote that guide and I attracted them to me. So maybe I can start monetize some ways. And I started with a paid community. So I charge people five bucks and you can be part of this. And we run like different speaker events and then we have a chat room, all that. But I did it for like three to four months and I decided to stop charging people. And I can tell you the reason is because, um, first of all, I realized that I am more passionate about teaching people instead Mm -hmm. of running a community because a community means you need to facilitate connection between people. It's a very different skill sets. And I pretty much enjoy helping people move along. Like I work with them one-on-one, that kind of model. So right after, um, well, right after I started the community, I figured that people actually didn't get built in public just by being in a community. So I thought, okay, I should really create a course to teach them because a community doesn't help. Then a course should be better. And it, and it, and it is, and a course really helps people like get over their fear and put themselves out there. So that's how Building Public Mastery was first born. But I can tell you that it's the fourth iteration, these, like this cohort, because I've made so many changes along the way. The first version is like so shit. But luckily, the students were still like pretty happy about it because I was charging like 50 bucks. Um, so it was a really hard journey. Just keep figuring what I like and what my audience like and get to this point yeah and the, and the the way you advertise your uh, course is in your twitter right um i mean twitter is like a top funnel so i still talk a lot about building public and then people would subscribe to my newsletter and take my email course and then i basically keep sharing a lot of free content mm-hmm. i write like really long content in the emails and 
I give it away all for free. So, so yeah, when my course is running, then I just lightly update them and see who wants to join. Yeah, yeah. that's about it. That's a, it's a very interesting um, model. And I, I see a lot of people doing this, a lot of creators doing this, basically offering uh, 90% for free and then making money from the 10% uh, that is uh, that is left, right? So you basically use your free products to attract people to your paid product, but you are still that's creating a lot of value in your free products. And there's a lot of people that will just use your free products and, uh, and that's okay. Yeah, and I think... There, this is a very interesting point. Like I found out that if you're running a course, um, most people are not paying for content. I mean, they can learn enough from that 90%. What people want is personalized guidance. They want a community. They want friends to learn this together. They want to have like guest speakers to listen to. They want to have um, someone to go to if they're stuck. They want some encouragement. So this is what you cannot get from free content. And people are happy to pay for this. So mm-hmm. it's not just about the content. And I, it took me so many months to learn this. I was, I was checking also here the, your prices. The cheapest one is uh, $600, is it? Yeah, there's uh, three tiers, $600, and then $1,000, and then $2,600. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it easy to, to get... Uh... You know, to, to enroll in a in a monthly basis, uh, do you, do you get uh, a nice uh, MRR uh, from these courses? Oh, I can tell you, it's not easy at all <laughs> <laughs> because these are premium prices, right? So, mm-hmm. um, it is. So, of course, I spend, as you can tell, I spent a lot of time building trust and credibility with my audience, mm-hmm. and mo- I can tell you, all the students that sign up. I check, I check out like, how did they get to know me? And then why did they sign up? And I look at my ConvertKit account. All of them have gotten free content from me for at least three months. Some well, of them even yeah. six months. So yeah, just back in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, wow, this is very slow. <laughs> But I think, I think it is the only way. Like I, mm-hmm. I've done workshops where I just like meet a bunch of new people. And then at the end of the workshop, I'll bring up my course lightly. But no one really signed up because they just know me for like an hour. Yeah, right. they're not going to pay a thousand for this. So, so I can tell you it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But um, with all the hard work and the credibility and trust, it is possible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's... That's a very, very important point, which is trust. So a lot of people create their products, they they sh- share it with the world and they expect people to care <laughs> and people to, 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 you know, take their time to whatever, check their website or their course or their Twitter account. But no, this takes time. You need to, to create some trust. And uh, if you if you think about yourself, right, like if some random person comes to you and shows the website, How much time are you going to spend actually checking out that website? Probably not that much. So you really need to create that uh, that uh, trust. And uh, and I, I don't think it's that bad, actually. If it's three, three weeks and then you can um, charge um, $600, that's a really, really uh, good conversion. So uh, congrats for that. Thank you. But one thing I want to remind or share with all the audience listening to this is 
even a course, like a lot of people think that a course is you you create it once and then you can sell it for ten years. I can、yeah. tell you that that is a video course.、Uh, what 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 this is about is a cohort based course. So I'm I'm making a lot of changes every single week to the course to level up the experience. And、um, I can tell you the first course I was basically pretty naive. I was Giving some prompts to my students and say, "Hey, today you use this prompt to write. Tomorrow you use that prompt to write." But today, like after so many months, I'm able to break the whole building public concept into like、mm-hmm. six modules with different exercise and video content to like slowly introduce them different parts and get them moving. So、mm-hmm. don't think that a course is easy to create. <laughs> it's not. Definitely not.、Yeah. It's, it's like a it's like a startup product itself. Yeah. Yeah, and and in your case, the you even give a just reading it now six live workshops, so you have to be present, don't you? Oh, of course. I I, I think I have to be、oh, yeah. there to facilitate. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just record something once and then、uh, you know forget about it. It's something that you really have to be present. So、um, it, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. It, actually, the three weeks is the easier part. Uh, think about the enrollment, which is like six, eight weeks before the cohort, and then all the feedback, and then you need to change the curriculum.、Mm-hmm. is is all year around. <laughs> what、well, is the feedback so far from the students that completed your course? Well,、uh, they're really nice, so they're very positive. Like all the NPS score is like a nine and ten. So, but of course, there's always room to improve. So, what I try to do is. Like try to introduce something new and test it out for each new cohort, and、mm-hmm. take away all those part that people are like confused or lost. And you can tell, right? It's on the on Zoom call. You can tell when they're lost. So I just remove all those parts. Right, right. So yeah, it's slowly coming together. Really, really, really interesting.、Uh, Kevin, thank you so much、um, for、uh, for your time. I think we could definitely speak、uh, much more. You have a、yeah. lot to say,、uh, maybe for a next session. But、uh, as a last、uh, remark, let's say that someone is just starting now、uh, and wants to build in public. Where should they start? What should be the first thing they should focus on? Yeah. So let's let's keep it easy, right? Because a lot of people are overwhelmed when they try to take on a new concept or mindset. I would say. At the end of the day, block yourself like five to ten minutes each day and ask yourself this question: What did you learn today that can benefit someone out there on Twitter or on any platform that you're using? So this question is really good because one, it gets you to reflect on your own learnings, and two, you need to like quickly evaluate whether this is useful for another person or not. So think about this every day and then put it out there. This is how you like kick off your build in public journey. That's an amazing tip. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kevin. I will、uh, link your Twitter profile and uh, your uh, courses, your products in the show notes of、uh, this episode. And、uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your learnings with the wannabe entrepreneurs. It's、uh, really meant a lot. No, thank you, thank you, Tiago, for having me here. If anyone wants to、um, learn more about building public, just reach out. Like I'm happy to help. 
Thank you, Kevon. And now for the listeners, if you are feeling lonely and you feel that uh, no one around you understands your bootstrapping and entrepreneurism dilemmas, join us in the WB space. It's a co-working space or a virtual co-working space for bootstrappers. And uh, we are all there working together in our project. And it's, it's becoming a really nice community to be part of. So the link will be in the description. It costs eight euros per month, but it's really worth it. And if you want to hear more interviews about Build in Public, I recommend episode 164, where I interview Arvid Call. is an expert. He has written many books about the topic. So make sure to check that out. And this was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time. <music>